Welcome back to The Word is Resistance, a podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? What wisdom is there for us as white Christians in these troubled, violent times of pandemics and racial capitalism and the beauty of resistance? I'm Reverend Sarah Howell Miller. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a United Methodist minister, and I live in what is currently known as Winston-Salem, North Carolina, on the ancestral lands of the Tutelo, Okanichi, and Kiawe peoples. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white Christians. White Christians talking to other white Christians about race and white supremacy. We believe white Christians like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. We do this work remembering we are building up a new world. The live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the freedom movement that we use in this podcast is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. This episode is the second one in our podcast series on disability justice. We are in the midst of exploring the Luke texts in the lectionary through that framework, the framework of disability justice, and will continue to do so until mid-October. We are asking questions like, what can we learn about these stories by centering disability justice as our interpretive lens? What can we learn as white Christians about how ableism in the texts themselves, as well as in how the texts have been used or interpreted, about how they uphold white supremacy, and about how centering disability justice is key to collective liberation? We also want to name how white imperial Christianity has constructed and upheld ableism and how whiteness and white Christianity are disabling. And we want to remember mutual interest. What's at stake for us as white Christians by centering disability justice? If you missed last week's episode of the podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Reverend Ann Dunlap gives a really helpful overview of what disability justice is and points us to more excellent resources. If you want to go check out that episode, I'll be waiting for you when you get back. And now I invite you in whatever way is comfortable to center yourself and be present to your body as we dive into this week's Luke text from a disability justice lens. The gospel text for this third Sunday after Pentecost is Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, 
Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but as far as you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now where I live, I am an irregular participant in a weekly exegetical discussion group that meets over coffee to talk about the lectionary texts for the week as many of us prepare to preach. It is a wildly diverse group in terms of race, gender, sexuality, denominational affiliation, but what everyone has in common is that we are not afraid of a little irreverence. In fact, we embrace it as part of the process of exegesis. When we met to look at this week's lectionary text, none of us were thrilled about the Luke passage. We fumbled through some thoughts about the first half, wondering aloud whether we should just stop after verse 56. I mean, let the dead bury their own dead. What were we supposed to do with that with any kind of liberative lens? And then one of my colleagues said, you know, maybe Jesus just needed a Snickers. You know, the commercials, you're not you when you're hungry. Jesus and the disciples had been traveling and the place they planned to stop has rejected them. Maybe that meant a meal was missed and Jesus was hangry, which might explain his seemingly dismissive, even harsh comments here. I know I'm not me when I'm hungry. Now, it's a silly take, but perhaps this is not the worst place to start, with attention to bodies and the way the world's rejection can affect them. When I first started learning about disability justice years ago, I was immediately captivated by the framework and the vital attention to systemic change, a needed shift in a world that too often locates the problem of disability in the body or mind of a disabled person. And we need this wider lens. We have too often focused in on the body of a disabled person as the problem. I think of the title of Annie Kinney's book on disability justice in the church, My Body is Not a Prayer Request. But we also need to resist the temptation to allow a focus on the systemic to erase the realities of actual bodies, especially the bodies of people who are disabled or traumatized or racialized or colonized or otherwise rejected or oppressed. Of course, the attention we give to bodies, whether our own or the bodies of others, must come with a very different energy than the the attention we give to systems. The aim in regards to systems is to bring transformation. The aim in regards to bodies is to affirm, bear witness to, and support their inherent dignity and worth. Micah Peace is Disability Access Co-Coordinator for Surge. They say that although many healing narratives in the Bible are spoken of in terms of being made whole, the person being healed is already whole. Jesus doesn't come to fix them, but to see their wholeness and to engage with them in ways that society has been unwilling to. And Jesus offers us these ways to decolonize and reimagine our responses to marginalization and oppression. Our text from Luke starts with Jesus experiencing rejection by the inhabitants of a village. And in response, the disciples James and John ask if they should call down fire on the people that offended their teacher. But Jesus rebukes them and goes on his way. 
Now, James and John were known as the Sons of Thunder, so it seems fitting that they would choose a dramatic, even violent response to rejection. And who among us hasn't wanted to call down fire on people who have harmed us, or perhaps even more so, who have harmed people we care about? Of course, it is a little much. Talk about needing a Snickers. But there is a caution embedded here that is relevant to disability justice, to racial justice, to any movement work for people of privilege. So James and John saw someone else being harmed and thought they knew what the right response would be, something, something that those of us with privilege often do. Their over-enthusiasm could be taken as a warning to self-proclaimed allies not to run ahead of those they claim to support, not to do for others when the call is to work with. The phrase, nothing about us without us, originated in the disability rights movement, and it reminds us that we should never work on behalf of any group without their leadership, voices, and accountability. Because as well-intentioned as we may be, sometimes our best efforts can make things worse for marginalized groups, or at best, miss the point. We need to continually decolonize our responses to rejection, to violence, to oppression, James and John want to return fiery violence for the rejection Jesus experiences. We may hear Audre Lorde's voice in our head saying, The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Amanda Stahl is the disability access co-coordinator at Surge along with Micah, and she says that the difference between disability rights and disability justice is that disability rights is more about gaining privileges within the system as it is, without seeking to transform it, essentially using the master's tools. Jesus knows that violence is a tool of empire and that violence multiplies violence. And so instead he invites James and John to resist that logic. And it gets tricky to talk about this as a white, temporarily able-bodied person, because while it is important for me to understand these things, it is not my job to police the approach and methods of marginalized groups. Too often, supposed allies have pushed respectability politics onto black, brown, queer, trans, disabled, and other people and groups, but marginalized groups get to say what is or isn't a helpful response to rejection or oppression. They take the lead on how to engage with the systems that work against them. And I admit, I I have a bit of a soft spot for James and John in this story. I mean, talk about ride or die followers. Would that we all were so ready to call down fire to defend our siblings, our friends from rejection, oppression, or violence. And the Sons of Thunder do demonstrate a willingness to be corrected. They ask Jesus if they should call down fire. And when he says no, they follow his lead. Maybe this is a little bit of what allyship or accompliceship looks like. Showing up, making the effort, being open to correction and leadership by the people you're trying to support. I love how Brene Brown puts it. She says, I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. And this leads me to the part of the text where we get a series of what I'm just going to call but firsts. Jesus says, follow me. One person says, but first, let me go bury my father. Another says, but first, let me say goodbye to my family. Many preachers have used this passage to say we must leave everything, absolutely everything behind and choose Jesus instead. Let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus is life. Nothing else matters. 
Well, this is the part that my exegetical group struggled with. One colleague asked us whether Jesus' response to these but firsts would have been different if anything else had come after that phrase. And we all decided that no, it wouldn't. Well, the takeaway might be that the conclusion of Jesus instead of over against everything else, we started to wonder together whether Jesus was actually calling out and resisting the binary inherent in the but firsts. Each of the people who comes to Jesus with a but first is assuming an either or. What if it's not? What if it's a both and? What if the thing we think we need to do before we can follow Jesus or seek liberation or show up as an accomplice? What if these things are all part of the work itself? Things we do along the way. Pieces of who we are as called people. I suspect Jesus would have had the same response regardless of what came after the but first, not because we are called to choose between Jesus and the people we love or the rituals that matter to us or the things that make us who we are, but because it isn't a binary at all. I think about all the ways we have tried to make this a binary for marginalized and racialized groups. Marie-Therese Archambault is a Franciscan sister originally from the Standing Rock Reservation in North Dakota. She's Lakota, she writes that indigenous people need to be de-evangelized, that they must decolonize their Christianity of the cultural implications from white and Western Christianity so that they can be both native people and native Catholics, that these things are not at odds. In fact, they are all part of the divine image in indigenous people. For too long, white Christianity has asked black people to choose between being black and being Christian. The heteropatriarchy has asked queer folks to choose between their sexuality or gender identity and being Christian. Colonizing evangelization has merged Western culture with Christianity to the point of promoting cultural genocide in America and around the world. And the church too often looks at disabled people as future miracles, implying that their but first is to become whole. When, as Micah said, they are already whole, and Jesus sees that. Ben Matlin has been quadriplegic since birth. Some years ago, a friend who also used a wheelchair died unexpectedly. And at this friend's memorial service, there was abundant theology that revealed an unexamined ableism. As ministers, family, friends alike spoke what to them were comforting words about how their loved one could now walk, play basketball, be free in a way he couldn't on earth, how he didn't need a wheelchair anymore. But Matlin felt the sting of their words, of the implication that his friend, and therefore he, was somehow better off dead than disabled. And he said this, Are there no wheelchairs in heaven? I'm not buying it. For me, if there is a heaven, it's not a place where I'll be able to walk. It's a place where it doesn't matter if you can't. Jesus invites us to set aside our but firsts, especially when we apply them to others. And it's not because the path of discipleship is easy. It is costly. This text bears witness to rejection and warns of more rejection to come. The question is not just, are we ready, but are we willing? Do we know what we're getting ourselves into? And even if we aren't, are we open to finding out? Following Jesus, becoming an accomplice in dismantling white supremacy and ableism, these things come with a cost. 
I have an art print that I bought back when I was running an intentional Christian community. And it says, everybody wants a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. And that was a very literal reality in the context that prompted me to buy it. But it's a dynamic that shows up in all faith and movement work. Are we willing to do the work? And if we don't know how, are we willing to learn? Are we willing to try to get it right, even after time and time again that we find that we do not have it right? Can we keep examining ourselves with questions of whether we are trying to use the master's tools to dismantle the master's house, of how to decolonize our responses to rejection and oppression, of how ableism creeps into our theology and practice, of how our but first become barriers to building up the new world together? For our call to action this week, I want to build on Anne's invitation from last week to dig into resources on disability justice. Anne shared about the Sins Invalid Disability Justice Primer and their 10 Principles of Disability Justice, as well as Surge's resources on disability justice on the website, among others. And I'll also recommend Leah Lakshmi Pipsna Samarasina's collection of essays called Care Work, Dreaming Disability Justice. If you're committed to getting white folks on board for dismantling white supremacy and ableism, please make a donation to Surge. We split every donation with a movement partner doing great work. You can donate online at bit.ly slash surgesf or find our podcast page at surge.org. We'll share the link on social media too. Thanks for helping support this podcast and organizing white people to show up for racial justice and the new world we're building together. Thanks as always for joining us. We'd love to hear from you all, and especially folks of color and non-Christians, by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages, or by filling out the survey on our podcast page at surge.org. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you check out our podcast. You can find out more about Surge at surge.org, where you can sign up for Surge Faith updates and find transcripts for every episode, which include references, resources, and action links. And of course, deep gratitude to our sound editor, Jordan. Oh